Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to Self-Storage Income, and today we have a case study. So we are doing a deep dive into a few acquisitions that um, this is a great example of a few things that we're going to talk about today. This is value add. This is a great um, example of um, velocity of money, exchanging assets without paying taxes. This is a great example of scale, um, as well as the power of leverage and storage. So I'm really excited to get into this. Uh, it's actually three case studies in one, to be totally honest. Um, but case studies on our projects is something that I want to do more of to give you guys kind of a deep inside look. Uh, as well as coming up, though, we also have Zach Quick who we did a podcast with him quite a while ago, but it was one of the most listened to podcasts. People loved it. Yeah, for a long time. For a long yeah, time. A good and one. he has small facilities around the Midwest, and we, we partnered together on a deal that was a large facility, about 100,000 square feet. Uh, Zach's a great guy. He does an awesome job at storage, so uh, we're going to be excited to have him on again as well. But today, uh, before we get dive deep into numbers and examples, I want to talk about our sponsor. So we are really excited about our sponsor um, to get started because financing is such a critical portion of the self-storage industry. And one of the parts that people are nervous about getting started and really need to have a partner and are looking forward to getting a partner that can help them that they may feel that they can't get financing to get started. And Live Oak Bank, um, Terry over Live Oak Bank, uh, a few weeks back, we had him on the podcast as well. You need to listen to it. It's great on financing. And it's I, you know, when we say a partner, what does that mean? Not all banks I view as partners. They're just underwriting. They look at you. You're either creditworthy or you're not. Where Live Oak Bank takes the approach of let's look at your business plan, how you're going to execute the asset that you're going to execute this business plan on, and then we'll determine what needs to happen and how we can get it done, as well as in their markets all over the United States, which is really important because not all of us are investing in New York City. Uh, we're not all walking in and buying a $50 million storage facility. Um, and that was a struggle, I know, when we got started, as well as most people get started. And Live Oak Bank, they're everywhere. Um, so that's really, really important. Uh, but with that, Let's get started. Let's dive into it. So, I don't know, Connor. Anything else I need to 
talk about here before we jump right into this case study? I don't think so. Uh, the only other thing that I can think of that we've got going on current event-wise is uh, we just recorded an episode of the Self-Storage Income Managers podcast uh, last week, and we're going to be recording some more episodes, just getting them back That's right. Yeah, we're going to be releasing that here soon. So that's going to be yeah, exciting. This is going to be a really exciting one. Um, yeah. You know what? Hopefully, that can be released here, maybe next week. Yeah, I think we were, we were talking like first week of December was our yeah. target. But um, yeah, I mean, we really don't have any kind of time frame. It's just yeah. you know, we'll record some episodes and we'll get it we, out. You as already soon have as we an can. interview done. Yeah. So we've already got an interview done. We get the opening one done. Release it. This is going to be a great one for understanding the operations of self-storage and an in-depth um, part of that. So I'm really excited about that one. Um, these guys are doing a great job. So we'll, we'll talk about that one hopefully uh, next week. So you guys will see. But uh, let's jump into this case study. All right. So this is a time that I want to tell you a lot more about get nitty gritty, so to speak. Nitty gritty. Um, we were looking at purchasing... A storage facility is a way of diversifying our sales income from insurance. And there was a small storage facility that a broker had brought us in a small town called Bonners Ferry, Idaho. It was on the border, Canadian border. Huge town. Huge town. I mean, it's thriving <laughs> metropolitan area. All the banks wanted to lend there. I mean, I mean, as far as population of elk and grizzly bears go, yeah, it's, it's a big population. As humans go, not so much. Right, right. But <laughs> how did you say you found that deal um, or that facility? A broker yeah. called us up said, hey, I got a guy that wants to sell this facility in this small town. And this was a location, particularly at the time in the early 2000s, that nobody was going to invest in. Um, this was a hard asset to sell. Uh, the facility itself wasn't even in the city. I mean, I think there's like one intersection in the city, but it wasn't even there. It was on the, it was <laughs> uh, out the before you even get, to, get there. Gorgeous place. I actually love it there, um, but not an economic thriving area. So we, we were looking for a few things. First of all, we were looking at principally high cash flow. That was really what we were trying to find in an asset. Now, we wanted to avoid large capex. That's what led us to self storage in the first place. This asset was they were asking six hundred and I think twenty five thousand, if I remember right, at the time six hundred twenty five thousand. We were bringing in about two hundred thousand. Um, we did not have operational capabilities. We didn't have a team set up. Nothing like that. We understood, I think, good business principles and all of that. Uh, but we were also new to the asset class. We're nowhere even close to where we are now, right? And when we we're looking at this asset, there was no gates, no security. There was no paved roads, nothing. It was just some buildings, three buildings sitting out with doors. That you could roll <laughs> in the woods. <laughs> yeah, in the woods that you could roll on. So um, we thought that it was 100% occupied, and to us at the time, that was important because that meant it was stabilized. Um, there wasn't really a value add component that we were looking for. That's important to know at the time. We were literally looking to buy and hopefully take advantage of real estate on the side of appreciation and cash flow, but also that our renters would pay down our debt, which would create more equity, which would make us wealthier. And then at the time, we were viewing it as a way to, well, maybe what we'll do is we'll just retire, right? Because, you know, 20 years from now, this is going to be worth a lot of money. 
this is going to be really good, right? And um, all that debt will be gone, so it'll it'll make good money. And then you could retire off it. That was all we were looking for. There was no funnel. There was no turnaround. There was no value add. There was no marketing plan. There was no dynamic pricing, no revenue management. There was no manager training manuals. There, nothing. Which is so crazy because you have nowadays all these resources like what we have with everything that we do with self-storage income and yeah. you know, all the other content that's out there in regard to this value add strategy and these other things where it was like, that wasn't even like in your mind. No, it was that just... didn't exist. <laughs> there was no so resources crazy. for yeah. us to turn to. Um, me and my partner, who's my dad, we went to the um, National Association, ISS, Inside Self Storage. I think it was that one, not the SSA, um, which was a teeny event. Teeny, but it wasn't that big. Um, it was definitely, I would say, not very professional. Um, in Vegas, where we walked around and there were some people, we'd go into a room and there was like 15 people and they were talking about <laughs> random things, right? Now, if you go there, there's like 3,000 and it's like Wall Street and suits Jeez. and everything yeah. else. It's very different. But even then, those resources were limited. There weren't books on it. There there was no, you know, the investor's guide to growing wealth and self-storage, a step-by-step playbook. That didn't exist, right? There was nothing like that. So we, nobody wanted to really be in it. But we we saw the future you know, to the point of this is a stable asset. It's great. You know, we think that the need's never going to go away. Low capital expenditures, but most importantly, cash flow. So anyways, we bought it. And we used um, local financing in our state. We put 30... So like through a credit union? Yeah. Oh, yeah. uh, it was... I think that one was actually with... Um, I think Key Bank. I think mm. Key Bank had a branch up there, and so and we had our accounts with Key Bank. Oh, gotcha. And so they were like, "Okay, yeah, we'll we'll land onto it." We and how we managed it was also we had a local person there that would go. They would change out the locks. They would re- go to auction, which I'm sure at the time we were not even doing it right. It probably wasn't even legal. <laughs> But, that was like real estate agent or something, right? That yeah, you said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you guys, they didn't, there was no storage management yeah. company. That didn't exist. Yeah. It was like the local real estate agent that said, hey, if there's something, swing by, change out a lock, get somebody moved in, right? And we'll pay you for that. Um really though, it it was trying to be as hands-off as possible. And I think we learned a couple things. First of all, that that doesn't necessarily work. Right. It's mm-hmm. just not walk away from it. Right. Which is a valuable lesson to anybody in any kind of investing or um, entrepreneurship. Yeah. The word passive is thrown around a lot. A lot. Yeah. And I think that's a misinterpreted. Lot. No. Passive is when you invest with other people, <laughs> not when you invest yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, I. this is how I view passive income. It's passive as a, as to the point where the revenue is not associated with my time. So if I put in 100 hours into that self-storage facility that week, I don't get 100 times more money. That's not how it works, right? Um, It's passive because if I don't put 100 hours in, they still have to pay their bills. But it's not passive to the point where you can walk away and it succeeds. That's not – or 
won't fail. If you don't work on it, it's going to fail. Um, so the asset did fine, but we learned once again, listen, there needs to be aspects that we can charge higher rent. There needs to be more demand. So we, we learned a lot of the basics, which served us well, because what we did is we sold that one and we actually sold it a few years later for less than we bought it for. But once you count the paid off debt and cash flow that came in, we made a profit, but we did sell it for less than we bought it for. Mm, gotcha. And that um, netted us, it was like $250,000. So a little more than we'd put in. And what we did is we went and identified a, a better market and a little larger of a facility. And that was not, it had security, some other things. It wasn't a big facility. It was still a, a very small facility, but there was a lot more demand to it. And they had really low rates. Like the guy just hadn't been upping rates. And so that became our next part of our strategy. We would just buy it and simply put the rates up to market and we would make sure we collected rent. Very simple. But we did that. And we turned around in 13 months then after our small value add opportunity, and we sold that for, um, I got to remember now, we netted a million. So we netted a million off that sell. So we sold it for like 800,000 more than we purchased it for. Um, and what, but that one did at the time have a manager on site, a very different component than before. And we utilized the manager and we started to learn and, and do rent, rent increases. And then we took that million. So let me back up the, the small facility. We 1031 exchanged that into a bigger asset. That means we moved that capital into a like-minded asset and didn't pay taxes on it, which that was very key. Um, to being successful. And 1031 exchange is available to everyone. Um, and we utilize that again out of this one and 1031 exchange that million now into another asset. The next asset that we bought had a few things that we liked. First of all, it was much bigger. That meant there's more value add opportunity because you could you had more units that we could raise increase rates on. The margin was bigger because there was a manager there, but because there was more units, there was a margin. So the spread of expenses versus revenue was bigger. We made more money on it. And also it had room to expand. So after our small value add proposition. Now, at the same time during this time, we'd also purchased another facility. And I, I'll throw this into the mix too. This facility was a very large facility, but it was doing very poorly. And very large, do you know, like approximate square feet? Um, 130,000 square feet. Gotcha. So um, this facility was I think 60% occupancy and it was like 20 cents a square foot in revenue. Dang. Yeah, it was, there was not a lot going on. And uh, this guy was losing it. He decided not to pay taxes. So he's losing his facility. <laughs> and we went and we bought it and we picked that one up after we had sold our other one, right? We, because we'd learned about this value add and we said, hey, 
this one's failing. I think that if we change, because the manager was working not even part-time. So I said, if we upped the manager and made them work full-time, but more importantly, there was an attribute of this facility that we could change. And that was that the builder had built it with five by fives through the, like the whole entire thing, because on a spreadsheet, five by fives meant that you made more revenue per square foot. Because the smaller unit you could charge high price for, it was better utilization of space. The only problem is he built like 500 of them, and 500 people didn't want 5x5s. So he didn't sell any of them, which made his revenue per square foot just nothing. (laughs) So it was a very miscalculation of the market and what the market wanted. We bought it. We came in and we changed those 5x5s into 10x10s, 20x20s, and larger size units that people wanted. We made the manager work full-time. Um, and that facility, with just a few of those simple changes, we had that facility up to like 90% and we doubled the revenue. So we'd put into that one, I think it was $500,000, and that one's worth you know $15 million today. Um, now, the other one that we were 1031 exchanging. The reason I bring that one up is because we were implementing, as we're learning, right? You have two types of knowledge. You have learned and applied knowledge. Applied knowledge is you get while you're going along. We're learning these things and we're implementing and we're seeing the change increase. But not only are we seeing the change increase, our opportunities that we see is increasing. Mm -hmm. So back to our small one, we went to the mid, kind of the, other small one, but then we sold that one for a million. Uh, we took out a million in it, so we sold it for like 800000 more, put it into that one. That one, we not only did we use the same kind of idea where we'll turn things around, make sure that we're collecting revenue, increasing rates, and doing a few. Still, this was relatively simple. Um, and that one, we've actually just completed and expanded. That one, we picked up for $4 because we put that million into it. Um, that one was a little harder to get financing for. Um, in fact, the financing on that one, if I remember, I think we put, I think it was, maybe it was 3.8 million. We put just over 30% down on it. It was a stabilized cash flowing asset. Um, but we had to go to a few banks and as, as I recall, I don't think our terms were that great, but we what bought was it. the reason for that? Um, they just weren't really wanting to invest. Or you put money into it. And, and banks will do this sometimes, they right? They didn't understand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so that one was harder. It was at a great road, a great, road, a great location. And it, too, this was also the time. Mm-hmm. Banks weren't as willing to loan. Yeah. So the market goes through cycles where banks will expand their, their uh, uh, lending and they'll contract it, right? These are ebbs and ways in the economy. So today... Um, if anyone else, if there was anyone even listening to this that would have been able to purchase that asset today at 35%, you'd get the loan. There's <laughs> not even a question. Yeah. So that one we bought. Now we've expanded that one, including built more units on it, added technology, and increased the rates. Converted some of the units inside. Yep, converted some of the ones. We, we created more um, climate-controlled units. Um, so we added a bunch of stuff to that, and we started on this one as well as the last one, the other one that I was speaking that we were kind of doing simultaneously. These ones, we both started doing marketing, and that was a big difference as well in the form of marketing that we were doing. We were doing all online. Mm-hmm. We'd gotten rid of any other kind of marketing at the time. 
and we filled both of them up. They were both full. And that one had then was worth like $8 million in two years. So we went from, in a few years, we went from 200000 to $4 million. And that's not including this other asset that I'm talking about. I'm talking about that original 200000 It shows the power of money. It also shows the power of thinking long-term, not looking for short-term gains, and creating a strategy that you're implementing that you know what's supposed to be happening. Because you need to compound and leverage not just your capital, but your knowledge, experience, other people. You need to compound and leverage technology. And every one that we did, we got better at doing that. And that leveraged and compounded our returns. So I love those case studies um, because it shows our model that we use today. Now, everybody that's maybe thinking, oh, yeah, but you did that a long time ago. We just purchased a facility for $6 million in a first-tier market, Kansas City. And we bought that one under the exact same premises that we bought the other ones. We are going to improve collections, marketing, increase rental rates. Um, next spring, that will easily be worth eight, nine million dollars. It's not even a, like it's just we've gotten to the point where we understand where that value is going to be and we can mark that off. So that one will have invested and with other people, you know, we'll have put in what I think it was 1.4 million, 1.5 million into that one. And we will create probably in six months around four million in equity. So we, we've done that repeatedly, but we didn't get there. That's not how we started, right? We had to take learned knowledge and applied knowledge together to develop the strategy. So, anyways, I wanted to go through that that case study with you, that walk through that two hundred thousand to four million, and show you how not only is it possible, but you know. It's one of those things that once you get it and the more that you understand, we were doing that without anything like this. Mm -hmm. I wasn't reading case studies or hearing somebody tell me about deals that they did. We were literally figuring it out as we went. There weren't books. There weren't podcasts. There weren't any of those things. So there's a lot of great information out today that can help you avoid the pit stops that we had to use learned knowledge to identify opportunities to take advantage of and then gain applied knowledge. And if you do that, you will be successful and quickly. I love it, man. No, that's a great breakdown of uh, just kind of diving into some of those things because I think people do get confused with a lot of these different things going on in storage and investing in general where you're like, okay, what do I need to be paying attention to? How did this person get from here to there, and then also kind of clearing up the expectations of where, you know, where you start and where you end up, where it's, you know, you're not just going to jump in and start buying, you know, yeah, $10 million facilities and first tier markets or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, and really kind of painting the picture, especially for you, you know, starting out in Bonners Ferry, Idaho of all places. And, uh, you know, now having 13 facilities spread out, you know, all over the U.S. and, you know, still growing like crazy, you know, yeah. we've got all these developments going on and, um, no, it's, it's amazing, uh, just what we've been able to accomplish here, uh, in just the short, you know, number of years that you guys have been doing this. So yeah. it's, it's awesome to see. Yes. Well, guys, one of the things that we do, we did put some of these case studies in the book, but I'm going to start bringing a lot more of them in when we're out doing, uh, 
interviews and podcasts. If you heard that, that's my dog. It's lying on the floor, kind of very sleepy. <laughs> it's nap time. Yeah. It's nap time for her. And, uh, but we've got Zach Quick will be the next podcast coming out. So you'll listen to this one. Zach's coming out, which we're going to go over case studies with him. Then we're going to roll out another one, which will probably be our development. I'll do a development case study. We can talk about that yeah. as well as real in time case studies. So uh, we talk about knowledge and we want to always, I always try to pair two things together. Um, um, knowledge that is like given, passed on. Like I'm like, hey, these are things that you need to know. These were important to me. And then um, examples, right? It's because those two things, I, I view understanding, investing, it's like putting a puzzle together and you're getting pieces of knowledge and you're trying to make them all fit. Mm-hmm. And I find that if you get if you get lessons and examples, that really helps understanding how the pieces of the puzzle fit. At 100%. least for me. Yeah, so, no, totally agree. Well, fantastic. Guys, if this is helpful, if you're liking this content, seriously, radio. Oh, another thing we wanted to do, start up the 15-minute phone calls. If you leave us a five-star review, let us know. Um, and if that went well, we've got, in fact, I got one today going on. Just want to make a reminder of that. And thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.